who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with, with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. And that's exactly what we want to sing this, uh, this evening together. And let's bless his name. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, sing bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul.
Cama psalmistul să binecuvântăm pe Domnul. Și după masa aceasta vrem să facem lucrul acesta cu cei mari și cu cei mici. Vrem să ne închinăm înaintea Domnului și să cerem binecuvântare peste lucrarea care ne stă înainte și un îndemn pentru rugăciune prin fratele David Balas, care este din Carolina. Ne bucurăm să-i spunem un welcome ca și azi dimineață lui și familiei. Rugăm să vină în față, să aibă un cuvânt de salut din partea fraților de acolo, un îndemn și apoi să venim cu toți în rugăciune. Să binecuvântăm numele Domnului pentru că se merită. Amen, amen. Uh. Hello, Pache. Uh, as he mentioned, my name is David Balaj. Uh, today I just simply wanted to come with a short little endem for the church that comes out of Romans 15, verse 8 to 13. And these are the words of Paul to the Romans. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen. In this text, Paul says that Christ came down, humbled himself in human flesh, and took upon the cross for two reasons for two different people. First, for the Jews, the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, the promises that he gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And secondly, Christ humbled himself in human flesh and became the servant of the living God so that he might glorify God for his mercy. We we Gentiles, we Christians, we non-Jews, we have no forefathers. There was no promises for them. God had nothing promised for us. He could have let us perish in the sin, in our sin, And we would be worthy of it. But we praise God. As the song said, blessed be God and bless the Lord, O my soul, because we have a living hope. We have a son, the son of God, who humbled himself in human flesh so that we could all be together, Jew and Gentile, to worship him. Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come. Do we know who that root is? It is the living Jesus Christ who has arisen to rule the Gentiles, and in him is our hope. Yes. In this next prayer, as we come before a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise, I want us to fulfill the words that Paul said to the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by, that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let us be filled with this hope. We do not hope 
in an idea. We do not hope in an object that perishes, but our hope is alive and lives forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let us pray that the God of hope fill us with this joy and this peace in believing. Amen. În continuarea închinării noastre înaintea Domnului, ne închinăm cu corul de copii, Kids Choir, după care ascultăm versuri prin Emanuel Poruț, după care un solo prin Beatrice Poruț și încă o dată salutăm familia Balas din Carolina, care vor lăuda pe Domnul Cocântare în urmă corul mixt. După toate punctele muzicale, vom asculta primul mesaj al serii prin fratele Edis Frângeu și dorim în toată inima Domnul să ne binecuvintează. Vă invit să ocupați locurile.
Aș vrea să fie o rază călătoare, să luminezi iubire pe pământ, cum tu ai fost un stup senin de soare, cu zâmbet bun, cu glasul cald și sfânt. Aș vrea să fiu o raz- un rău de bunătate, câmpiile de inisă străbat, cum tu ai fost un vrem de mult uitate, izvor de viață binecuvântat. Aș vrea să fiu un ram de bucurie, petale de lumină să aprind, să floresc aș vrea o veșnicie în jurul roade sfinte să întind. Aș vrea să fiu un crin cu albe șapte, să răspândesc ca liniște parfum, să lumineze a sufletelor noapte, să fie o faclă vie lângă drum. Aș vrea să fiu o stea de biruință, să mă prin ceață tot mai sus, să răspândesc speranță și credință, aș vrea să fiu ca tine scump Iisus. Amin.
Este o cântare foarte bine cunoscută și este preferata soțului meu. Și vrem să lăudăm pe Domnul împreună, dacă o știți, bineînțeles, cântați împreună cu noi.
Pace Sfântă și bună seara! I almost want to start off with it's so good to be home, but I haven't been anywhere in three weeks, and that's pretty weird for me. This year I've been home more than any other year in the last six years, which has been really nice to be home. Um, but uh, I want to mention uh, next week I'll be in Arizona in Phoenix where I'll be serving, um, and I mentioned that just to ask you to pray for me. I'm spending time preparing and, and you know, before the Lord uh, to minister to the brothers there. And then also I have some meetings that I have scheduled there um, for me as well. And I just want God's direction, God's guidance. I'm spending a lot of time in prayer and in fast. My wife and my family um, are, and we're just waiting to hear from the Lord. I have several things that I want to talk to God about, and he'll talk to me about everything except that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. So I'm just being patient before the Lord as best as I know how. The hard part about being patient or being in a season of waiting is that you're not sure if it's exactly what God wants you to do. And so if God wants me to wait, I'm going to wait with excellence. I'm going to wait better than anybody's ever waited in the history of waiting. But the hard part for me is waiting and going, am I sure that I'm not just letting the time pass by? Am I waiting correctly? Am I really waiting on you, Lord? And so I just want to be found pleasing in his sight. So please pray with me about that. I have a Short message for you this evening that, that the Lord's been, been laying on my heart. Um, but before I dive into the message, I just want to say it's so good to see the Balash family and to have you guys with us. Thank you so much for visiting us. Uh, David, I think the last time I met you was in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. Right? At uh, Winterfest? Yeah, it's good to see you again. Uh, we we uh, live in, in a very small world, but the remaining community is a very, very small world. And so we see and we meet each other all the time. So it's just very nice to, to have guests and friends visiting. Yeah. So three weeks ago, as you know, I was in, I was in Detroit, and I was there um, ministering, and the message that God had laid on my heart uh, for the message in Detroit was one about discovering calling. And at the end of a message, as I like to do, my, my desire typically is to be very proactive and very practical. And so um, as I was wrapping up the message towards the end, uh, Sunday morning, at the morning service, I was there and, and I went through a list of five questions that we should be asking ourselves uh, in our search for discovering God's calling in our lives. And so in this, in this kind of proactive, introspective kind of questioning that we went through, one of the questions that I had asked was a question that comes up in my life often. It's a question that, that I like to challenge um, the younger generation with often. It's a question that I, I like to challenge pretty much anybody I can with often. It's a question that God challenges me with often. And it's a very simple question. Um, the question is, is if, if we were to strip away all of our obligations, you know, like paying bills, obligations to people around us, obligations to our community, obligations to uh, parents or brothers or sisters or, you know, to being Romanian or to the identity that we hold or any of these different things. If we were to strip away all of our obligations, if you won the lottery and you didn't have to go to work anymore, you didn't have to pay bills anymore because you paid for everything outright, if, if, if you didn't have the obligations or, or, or the pressure about needing to operate in a certain way or live and do a certain thing, the question is, is what would you do with your life? If you had the freedom to just take a moment and step back and God gave you a blank check like he gave Solomon for you to say, I can ask God for anything. What would you ask for? What would you do with your freedom? I mean, some, some of us being Romanians, we're workaholics. We can't even fathom what that would look like if we weren't working 16 hour days. And so the question that is, is, is it, if you had this free time, what would you do with yourself? And it's a question that I ask myself often. I'm actually, our family is in, in, in a season where we're asking ourselves this very often. 
I look around at all of the things that, that I had been involved in up until now, and slowly God is stripping me of a lot of different things, and I find myself in a season where I'm waiting on the Lord for him to speak to me and to guide me, to lead me into whatever he wants me to, to, to do next, and I'm not 100% sure. And so I find myself reflecting on this question. I have a, a young man that I mentor out of, out of Southern California, and uh, he asked me, because we were talking about this burden on my heart, and he asked me, he goes, you know what, if God were to give you freedom to do whatever you want, he didn't know about my message in Detroit. He goes, what would you do? And I told him, I said, without hesitation, I know exactly what I would do. And I started to share my heart and to share my burden. You know, it's interesting because if we were to accomplish all of the things that we set out to accomplish, if we were to have the, 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 the family that we wanted and the job that we wanted or, or the freedom from the job that we wanted, the retirement that we wanted and, and to be financially stable in the way that we wanted. And if we were to have all of the things that we set out to accomplish, what's interesting is, is we have this conversation that we have amongst us, which we believe to be true. That, it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't matter if you have the right job and the right family and the right everything. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. And that's something that we say often to one another. And, and if you look at scripture... It's not because, you know, having family doesn't matter. No, but, but having family in a Christian home compared to having family in a non-Christian home, there is such a difference. There's such a, a disparaging difference between these two things that it's almost as if this doesn't matter in comparison to the greatness of living our lives out in Christianity. And so one of my favorite verses in Mark, I remember when I first became a Christian 20 years ago now, I, I was reading through Mark for the first time with a new set of eyes because I was reading it for myself. And I remember I came across Mark chapter 8, and it's one of my favorite all-time verses, still is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because I can hear what it says. You ever read a verse, and you think to yourself, man, other people read this, but they don't get it. But like this really ministers to me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And the New King James is what I'll be reading it in, just because I like the way that it's phrased. My first Bible was a New King James Bible, and it just kind of has a nostalgic place, this verse in the NKJV. You guys will be reading it in the ESV. Where it says, when he had called the people to himself, Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to lose his life, sorry, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will surely save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. See, we, we say often these, these cliched phrases, right, where it's like, you know, if, if, if you have everything that you want in life but you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything, and we agree with that statement. But my curiosity is about living the gospel. And so whenever I hear people say, you know, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything, I agree with that. But my curiosity is, what does it mean to have Jesus? What does that mean? It's a nice bumper sticker, looks good on a t-shirt, sounds good when we tweet it in our Twitters or we post it on our Instagrams. But my curiosity is, what does that mean when the rubber hits the road? What does that mean in real life? What does that mean for Eddie's friend Joe when I leave from here and it's 11.30 at night and my kids are in bed? What does it mean for me to have Jesus in my day-to-day? -day? Not just attending church. It's easy to have Jesus in church. It's easy to be in the presence of God when I'm not doing anything else and I'm not spending time being distracted by anything else. My entire purpose is to sit before the Lord and to pray and I'm surrounded by people that are creating an atmosphere that are all communally coming before the Lord. But my curiosity is what does it mean to have Jesus in every other place in my life? 
what I wrote down, which is where all of this started in prayer a few weeks ago, is I, I began to wonder, Lord, is there, is there a greater difference between me having you? Is there a difference in Christianity between a Christian that has Jesus and, and a difference between that and Jesus who has a Christian? You see, the ownership changes. And I think that, you know, I, I like to put out my schedule every day on iCloud and I just kind of lay it out because it sits in my phone and that's good for me. And I'll sit there, I'll start in the morning, right? And it's like, you know, wake up, you know, shower, get ready, right? Then go and, you know, spend time, you know, uh, uh, making coffee, whatever. You know, maybe you, you drive to work and then you spend time at work. And you have all of these little slots and all of these little bars about what your schedule might look like in a day. And what I'm curious about is, is if, if I have Jesus, does he fit into one of those blocks somewhere in my schedule? Or am I completely fitting into his will? Because one puts the possession on me and going, well, you know, if I have the time, if I have the energy, if I have the money, if I have the will, if I have the strength, if I have the fill in your blank, will Jesus fit somewhere into my life? And the other one is, do I fit into God's will for my life? And I feel that these two, these two types, these two examples are complete opposites of one another. I feel like there is a distance that is eternity between these two types of Christian lives. Not that I want to compare and contrast because I don't think that that's healthy. But, you know, sometimes we'll have conversations with, you know, amongst the leadership. Many times I'll, I'll, I'll sit and, 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 and I'll talk with other leaders like with Mike or Dario and so on. And we'll talk about, you know, hey, you know, did you talk to so-and-so, you know, to see if they can come and serve and help here? And we have a church that's full of servants. But whenever, whenever people are unavailable, what excuses do we give? What excuses do I give? You know, I just don't have the time. You know, man, I, I, I wish I had more time. You know, I, I just, I, I don't have the money at the end of the month to be able to do that. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the energy. At the end of the day, I'm really tired. And you know what we'll think to ourselves? We'll say, you know what? If I had more time, God, I would sure do that. God, if I had more money, I'd give more. God, if I had more energy, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd spend more time, you know, with, 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 you know, ministry or spend more time, you know, with my kids or I'd spend more time, you know, serving here or there. And what's funny to me is that we're always willing to give God time, energy, and money out of time, energy, and money that we don't have. You see how much of a difference there is between those two? Why am I always willing to give God time that I don't have, that I've run out of? Why is it I'm always willing to give out of finances so easily that I don't have? Because ultimately what we're saying is, God, if you give me more, then I'll give back. But my question is, is, is one life a life that is subdued and submitted and surrendered to Christ? And is the other one a life that Christ has to try to, try to fit within? Are we living a Christianity of surrender or a Christianity of convenience? Where is the bar, the threshold that I won't get past? God, I'll give until I hit the ceiling. But past the ceiling, that's where my limitations are. Because as I look at Scripture, that's not what I find that Jesus says. What I love about Christ is that he wasn't very polite, if you pick up on that. Look at Jesus. We get so caught up in the decorum of our Christianity that we look at Jesus and we realize that it was the Pharisees that had a ton of decorum, but it was Jesus that had something that really mattered. He actually spoke about life and death. And in his mouth alone were the words of life and of death. And sometimes I feel that we get so caught up in the Christianese of Christianity that we forget about what really matters. Let me, let me just challenge you to a thought. I feel like, like, like Western Christianity gets so caught up in our president's decorum. 
We get so caught up in his decorum, the way that he speaks, the way that he presents himself. Do you realize that he is the most pro-life president of all time? Do you realize that, that he's, he's one of the biggest presidents of working against uh, human trafficking? And I get, I'll, I'll get into conversations with young Christians that will get offended at the way that he presents himself. When what I should be offended about is that for decades nobody's been doing anything about human trafficking. Their blood should offend me, not the way that people carry themselves. The things that should offend us don't sometimes, and the things that don't offend us should. And so I just wonder if there's a difference between me having Jesus somewhere in the time slot of my life or Jesus having me in completion, in surrender, in all of me. What I love about Christ is that he doesn't tiptoe around it. He says, if anybody wants to follow me, it's not complicated. Number one, you got to deny yourself. Number two, you got to take your cross. Number three, you got to follow me. It's that easy. Why? Because, because whoever seeks to save his life will surely lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will surely save it. What a wild concept. I just, I, I, I sit and I look inwardly at myself, not at anybody else. This is, this is me sharing with you out of my day-to-day walk with God, out of my time in prayer where I'm looking inwardly at myself and I'm wondering, am I really walking in a way that is worthy of the calling? Consider how much we cheapen the gospel and we cheapen the message and we cheapen what it is that, that Christ does when we create ministry that's so gimmicky. You know, some, I travel to a lot of American churches, and sometimes I'll travel to American churches, and I'll sit there, and I, I, I saw somebody sent me a text the other day, or showed me a text on their phone today, where they said that, you know, they were going to a church, and they were talking about slapping the devil, you know, and they were doing exercise and so on. And I just think to myself, you know, like, that's fun, that's fine, it works with Sunday school kids, that's great, these were full-grown adults. And I just wonder, do we bear the burden of the fact that people are dying in sin and being lost for all of eternity? Do we understand what is at stake? Do we understand and value the price that was paid of God's own son on the cross for my sins and yours? And if we do, do we carry ourselves that way? I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm harsh It's just the burden that's been building up inside of me. And I feel like we get so tied up with tiptoeing. We get so tied up with with, with one another and about decorum. When what really counts, when the things that really make the difference between life and death is whether or not we're living a Christianity that is sold out for Jesus in its entirety. Instead of a, a Christianity that I try to fit Jesus into my schedule. Do you know what Jesus has planned for me and for you? As time is quickly passing by. Do you know what he has planned for me and for you? Man, I love John 10.10. Jesus is talking about the good shepherd, and he's referring to himself. And he gives you a who, a what, and a why. And then he uses this tool of rhetoric, this tool of speech, to talk about another who, a what, and a why. First he says the thief, that's the who, comes, that's what he does, and why? To rob, to steal, and to kill. Right? That's, That's what the verse says. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. So the thief, that's who comes, that's what, right? And why? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I, that's the who. I come, that's the what, and why? That they may have life. Who's they? Us. That we may have what? Life. And not just life, but life more abundantly. Would you describe your walk with Jesus as a life more abundant? Is that how you would describe your walk with the Lord? 
I'll tell you, nothing else matters if you don't have the Lord. We believe that, right? Nothing else matters if the Lord doesn't have you underneath his will. But I wonder about my walk with the Lord. Would I describe it if I strip everything else away and I strip everybody else's opinions and I'm not going to tell you publicly what I really think if it was just me and Kamarut Zamya in prayer on my knees and I'm talking to Jesus. Can I genuinely come before the Lord and say, God, I'm so thankful for the great adventure that I get to live in relationship with you because I feel that the life that you've given me is not a life that I just live but I live it in abundance because this is God's desire for all of us there's no one who is exempt from it God God came Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full to have it in abundance and so how is it that I can have life not just in church on Sundays but on Tuesdays when you're at work when you're laying hardwood when, when you're at work and, 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 and you're on your computer, when, when you sit in that chair for six or seven hours, when you have people around you that don't know Jesus, how can you have that in abundance? When I'm being a dad to my kids, when I'm being a husband to my wife, how can I have that in abundance? And the answer is really simple. If we live a life where Christ is at the center of all that we do, then out of that will flow life into everything that we do. You see, what I want to look at lastly is I just want to look at what hinders us. I want to look at what hinders us in our relationship with Jesus from being able to move forward. And I don't have the time in front of me to be able to jump through all of the text. But if you look at Peter when he denies Jesus three times, if you look at Peter when he walked on water, and we can look at many other examples, one of the biggest hindrances that we have in surrendering fully every aspect of our lives to the Lord is fear. Fear. Oftentimes, we'll be afraid to trust God. I remember I had a long conversation with a young man that I was mentoring at the time here from Sacramento, where we sat down and I knew what his answer was going to be to the question I wanted to ask him. So as the Holy Spirit led me, first, I asked him about a dozen other questions to be able to shore up any excuse that he would give. And then my point to him was, look, man, your issue is that you have a hard time trusting God. And he says, no, no, I don't because, and then he went through about 12 different excuses he would have given me, but those were already answered beforehand. And he had to just sit there and realize, you know what, you're right, I do have a hard time trusting God. If the Lord is speaking to you to let something go, that's what I wrote down. We're afraid that he'll ask us to give up something that you don't want to give up. You ever been afraid to trust God? I have almost every time. You ever been afraid to trust God whenever he speaks to you about something and you go, man, I don't know, Lord. I know that you caught me before, but I don't know and I don't know, but I'm going to trust you. And then you take a step in faith and then God delivers. You ever had those experiences? As Christians, we all have. You ever pray about something and you go, man, I really feel like, you know, God's convicting me to go ask that person to forgive me, but I don't know. They're going to get mad. They're going to get X, Y, and Z. And then eventually you just go, I can't take it anymore. And you go and you ask them to forgive you. And then God builds a friendship, restores something, heals something, does something supernatural that only he can do. We've all had dozens of experiences like this. But for me, as I'm sure for every one of us, it's hard to trust God sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to pray about something because I think that I already know what God wants me to do with it. And instead, I'm willing to just allow it in my life because God tolerates it. What kind of a Christianity is that? Is that that Christianity to the full that Jesus brought for all of us? Where I'll live this way, but I don't want to talk to Jesus because I'm afraid he might make me change it. Or he might ask me to do something that's uncomfortable. That's a real challenge from from a real place. I want to urge you that if you're afraid to pursue God because of what he'll ask... That your struggle along with mine is to trust God. We struggle to trust 
a couple of things and something that I say often, and I don't know if you catch it, something I say from the pulpit often, something I say when I meet with people often, is that we have to remember that God is good. We have to remember that God loves you. We have to remember that he is able and he is capable. Right? I mean, consider the fact that in Luke, Jesus says, if a father, if you as fathers, if your sons ask you for something, you being wicked and in sin know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, right? And so if we believe that God is good, that he is able, that he is for you, if we believe these things, then there can't possibly be something that God would ask me to do that isn't better than what I want for my own life. But the hard part for us when we surrender is to sit there and to say, God, I trust that you're good. I trust that you're for me. I trust that you're able. And so that's what gives us the strength to take that step in faith and to live out that Christianity in a way that that will be in abundance and to the full. If we believe that God is good, then we have to believe that he will not ask us to do something that isn't for our good. You know, if I had to give an instruction as I'm coming to a close, if I had to give a piece of advice to somebody that would ask me, that would say, Eddie, how, how is it that I can, I can start to live out that life more and more and more in abundance with Christ? How is it that I, can, that I can do what it is that I feel that God's asking me to do, but I'm scared to say yes? You know what my advice would be? It would be very simple, and it would be the best advice that I could give because it's scripture. I'd say it's real easy. Number one, you can't follow God until you deny yourself. You can't serve two masters. No one can. For either he will serve one and, and, and disobey the other, or he will love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Scripture teaches us this, right? You cannot serve two masters. If you're in the driver's seat, Jesus won't sit in the driver's seat. It's that simple. So number one, before you can say yes to Jesus, you got to say no to yourself. You can't say yes to abundant life in Christianity until you say no to the life that I've created for myself and my version of God's will of Christianity. And until I'm willing to say, you know what, God, I'm willing to give you what I have, God won't offer what he has. And until we're willing to be in a place, read James chapter 1, where it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come to the Lord and ask of the Lord, because God gives it freely, right? But it says, let them not be double-minded, because if you're double-minded, God won't give you anything. Let them not expect anything, because the Lord doesn't doesn't, uh, um, um, give something to a double-minded man, because they're full of doubt, Ultimately, the question is, is what do we do in that time? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It's that simple. But it's got to begin with the denial of self. You can't get what Jesus has for you until you give up what you have for yourself. And you can't live an abundant life until you stop trying to have Jesus be yours and you decide that you need to become his, that I need to become his. Until we make ourselves available to a complete surrender. And that means that you're willing to pray about any aspect of your life, that I'm willing to pray about anything. To say, God, I'm willing to hear your opinion on this. Until we're there in that moment, we're not living in abundance. And I'll tell you, 13 years ago, uh, when I became the youth leader at Maranatha, I remember uh, I had a very simple prayer before the Lord. You guys know the story. Where I was drawing blueprints at the time. I just informed a brother that I no longer draw blueprints. I just informed two brothers this week. Um, It's been 13 years. And... uh, I was drawing blueprints at the time, and I remember the Lord, I really felt, was calling me to go to theology school. And I said, God, I preach all the time to the younger generation that you shouldn't get married if you're not financially stable. And I have a company, and you want me to close it? This is so contradictory. Like, this is hypocrisy. How could I? What am I going to do? My wife's in school. How am I going to provide for our family? But I said this. I said, you know what, God? I'm open. I want to live in abundance. Whatever you have planned for me, I am wide open. 
I loved drawing blueprints. I, 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 I still enjoy looking at blueprints, but I gave it to God and I said, God, if you want this from me, I can only assume that you have something better for me. And so I made myself available and I said, God, if you find a way, I'll go. And within a week, my dad said to me, Eddie, if you go to a theology school, if you go, I'll support you. I said, done. Within three months, I closed down my company. I closed down all of the jobs that I had. That was in 2007, right before the worst part of the recession. And I went to theology school, and I finished graduating this year. Finished all theology school. I'm probably not going back, Pastor. I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good journey. But I'll tell you, if I had to do it again, it was scary and it was difficult. But I'll tell you, the life that my wife and I and our sons get to live, the adventure that we get to be on, Every, every single week, constantly, I am in phone calls and in text messages with young people from all over America. And me and my wife, we're, you know, minister is such a thrown around term. Really, we're just glorified cheerleaders. We get to sit on the sidelines and watch other people's journeys and hear about what God's doing in other people's lives all over America. And it's such a joy for us because we get to just encourage them and cheer them on and watch how God shows off to everybody else about how he blesses certain of sons and, and, and his daughters that are in his favor. And I'll tell you, it has been a wild journey. There has been a lot of spiritual attack and there's been a lot of spiritual victory, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I was in my hotel room in Detroit and I was praying and I was crying out before the Lord because I really want to start a project, but God won't tell me what to do. I'm just being honest with you right now, three weeks ago. And I remember talking to the Lord and looking back over my life. I'm only 35, but I thought to myself, you know what, God, if, if, if you were to return today, if, if I were to die today, I'm really happy with the way that I've lived my life. I'm really thankful. I don't have any regrets. I wouldn't have made any decisions differently. And so to, to anybody who hears this, I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're old. My simple suggestion from a tiny lesson that I learned from a God who is too good to comprehend is that as we make ourselves available and surrendered and we don't take Jesus and place him in our lives, but instead we place our lives in the hands of God. God transforms us, God builds us, and then we begin to live in abundance. And that life, I wouldn't trade for anything. I love you. Amen. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squad of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know 
that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel, his angel, and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the door, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept, her, kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but, monitored, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, they were no now when that day came the day came, there were no little disturbance among the soldiers over that had come to Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then they went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But when the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Amen. Proiectul de construcție, înainte ca să facem lucrul acesta, rog pe fratele Deni Brazovan, directorul de șantier, project manager, să vină să ne dea câteva informații despre ceea ce se întâmplă. Vă rog să ocupați locurile. Să vii să fie Domnul. Iată, a trecut puțin mai mult de o lună de când am ajuns la Sacramento și... Încep să mă obișnuiesc puțin mai mult, mai ales cu căldură. Înainte de toate, aș vrea să spun că am fost mișcat de săptămâna trecută, mai ales de săptămâna de rugăciune, unde foarte mulți și felul și îndemnurile și cântările cu care ne-am putut bucura. Să vii să fie Domnul! Un raport așa mai micuț, mai repede... În luna trecută am început așa să citesc planurile puțin mai mult, să mă familiarizez puțin cu ele mai mult. Am început lucrarea la, la acoperiș, la ruf. Am putut completa partea de sus, aproximativ 90%. 
mulțumesc fraților care au venit și au venit destul de mulți și am fost foarte mișcat în fiecare duminică. Frate, o să vin sâmbătă, vineri. Nu, fraților, nu contează când veniți. Și chiar dacă veniți două, trei ore, veniți. Avem, ajutor, avem nevoie de ajutorul fiecăruia. Am comparat câteva biduri, două, trei biduri, prețuri pentru acoperiș și am... Uh, și o să încercăm să economisim aproximativ 200.000 la acoperiș, uh, uh, făcându-l noi împreună cu frați, cu uh, eu vor coordona, dar sunt foarte, foarte mulți frați care ne-au ajutat și care știe și care lucrează împreună. Am început uh, puțin și la electrică, ne-am întâlnit cu câțiva frați din, din biserică care se ocupă în uh, domeniul de electrică și Mulțumim Domnului până aici. Dumneavoastră ați început acum 3, 4, 5 ani construcția de la pământ, de la săpat și biserica trebuie să termine. Biserica e a Domnului, nu e a mea, nu e a fratelui Moise, nu e a lui nimeni, e a Domnului în primul rând. Dar tineretul și copiii noștri trebuie să bucure. De aceea vă îndemn, dacă aveți 5 minute, dacă aveți timp de o cafea, dacă aveți timp de un lunch, Veniți la biserică, vă așteptăm, sunt aici primați 24 de ore. Mulțumesc Domnului, m-am obișnuit, încă mai a puțin timp, dar soarele, căldura de aici mă încurajează. Mulțumesc Domnului, slăviți să fie Domnul! Ce mare ești tu și 
bunătatea ta. Mă umple atunci când îți cânt ce mare ești tu. Că dragostea ta ajunge până la cerul, iar inima ta m-a găsit și m-a Anunțurile pentru săptămâna în care am intrat și de viitor sunt după cum urmează. Iercuri, biserica se întâlnește pentru părtășie și rugăciune. Paralel, Kids Choir și Youth Choir au repetiție. Joi seara, corul mixt are repetiție. Și apoi, cu ajutorul Domnului, duminica viitoare, o zi specială în calendarul unor persoane și a noastră ca biserică, când la slujba de după masă vom avea botezul în apă nou testamental, fratele Șano Nil va fi cu noi la ambele slujbe, atât dimineața cât și după masă. Dânsul va predica în limba engleză. Vă rugăm să țineți cont de prietenii, de cunoștințele dumneavoastră. Dacă aveți, puteți să invitați cu ocazia aceasta mulți care așteaptă vorbitori de limba engleză. Ne rugăm ca Domnul să binecuvintează duminica viitoare și să pregătească o sărbătoare pentru noi. 31 octombrie, Hallelujah Night, și apoi, de asemenea, noiembrie, șapte benefit dinner, care trebuie să fie în atenția noastră a tuturor. Ne închinăm înaintea Domnului și corul mix laudă pe Domnul, Jordan Pence cu un solo, un duet, Rachel and Evelyn, și apoi Kids Choir, laudă numele Domnului.
what it will be like when I walk by your side and I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me and I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? But to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes. When I find myself standing in the sun And I can only imagine When all I would do is forever Forever worship you And I can only imagine, yeah And I can only imagine, yeah Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak in all I can only imagine? Yeah. I can only imagine Oh, surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? I be able to speak it all I can only imagine yeah I can only imagine oh I can only imagine yeah I can only imagine oh I can only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine When all I will do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine Amen
pregătim inimile să ascultăm cel de-al doilea mesaj în după masă aceasta prin fratele păstor Samușii. Nu înainte ca să cântăm cu worship team, vă invit să ne ridicăm cu toți în picioare, pregătindu-ne inima pentru cuvântul Domnului. about 